the HD Movie Podcast may contain mature content, strong language and spoilers. Hello and welcome to episode 66 of the HD Movie Podcast. I'm Darren Gaskell. I'm Hayley Alice Roberts and we are back once again in the shark infested podcast waters with episode 2 from our mini-series Summer of Sharks season 2. This time we're going into threequel territory again. We had the slightly underwhelming Jaws 3 last episode. Maybe we've got something a bit more fun this week. It's Sharknado 3. Summer Sharks 2, Episode 2, Sharknado 3. Not a football result, just the film of this week. So if you'd listened to our previous episodes where we covered Sharknado 1 and 2 in last year's Summer of Sharks, you know, you'll know that we had an absolute blast with those movies. And Sharknado 3, oh hell no, was no exception. I think we had an equally great time with this film. So who better than to provide a synopsis for Sharknado 3 other than the master of IMDb synopsis himself, Nick Reganis. Here goes. As if the second shark-infused tornado in Sharknado 2, the second one, wasn't enough. Yet a third one hammers Washington, D.C. just when battle-scarred Finn was about to receive the prestigious Medal of Honor from the president himself. With the White House completely levelled and the capital in lockdown, Finn embarks on a dangerous journey to Florida's Universal Orlando Resort to find April as an unstoppable swarm of violent mini sharknadoes swiftly converge into one giant meteorological monster that threatens to obliterate the entire East Coast. Now, April, Nova Clark and Finn's estranged father Gil Shepard must come up with an effective strategy to destroy the pitiless atmospheric menace with the thousands of teeth. However, this time, it's a do-or-die situation. Is there a plan B, or is this the end of the world as we know it? Well, spoiler alert, there is a Sharknado 4, so clearly it is not the end of the world as we know it. But it's still a lot of fun. You're about the award that Finn was going to receive in Washington... It is the Order of the Golden Chainsaw. So you can tell just how seriously this series is taking itself by this point. It really wasn't taking itself seriously in the first movie. By now, any sense of reality has gone completely out of the window. It's just a sequence of increasingly bonkers set pieces. And fair play to Sharknado. It sets its stall out very, very early. You don't have to wade through the first act of portentous dialogue and nothing happening. You're straight into the action here, as with the last one. It's destruction, it's monuments collapsing, 
it's a shark landing on Abraham Lincoln's lap. It's really, really fun. And I guess that some people will watch the first 15, 20 minutes and dismiss it entirely and just think this is so stupid that I cannot stay with this. And that's fair enough. However, if you're tuned into Sharknado's very strange frequency, I think you'll get quite a lot out of this one because it's just such a laugh from start to finish. Definitely. I completely agree with all of that. I think if you go into this movie and approach it as, oh, this is a terrible movie, then you're not in the right mindset for it at all. Because part of the charm of the Sharknado films is it doesn't take itself seriously. It is meant to be a parody of B-movies and it just does such a fun job with it. There's just so much to like through it. There's plenty of laughs throughout, plenty of ridiculousness. And I, what I loved about this one with it being predominantly set in Florida, and Florida is one of my favourite places to visit. So I really loved to see a bit of uh, Universal Orlando Resort. So this was 2015 when this movie came out. So a lot of the attractions that is featured in it, some of them have closed now. There was actually a rumour that Daniel Radcliffe was up to appear in this film. And funnily enough, they don't show any of the Harry Potter section of Universal Orlando. But I think if Daniel Radcliffe had signed on to this film, it would have been a missed opportunity not to make a reference there. But they mainly focus on the kind of thrill rides, the more like disaster-based attractions. There's a simulator ride there called Disaster, and I think it takes you through the effects of the movies. I, I don't believe that ride's still there anymore but they just pick on things that will definitely be within the spirit of Sharknado, which is really great. In this film, as we've already said, Finn is receiving an award for his service to basically stopping Sharknados and saving the world. His wife, April, played by Tara Reid, is expecting their next child. So obviously they've raised the stakes there. She's only got one arm, but she's got a robotic arm in place of the arm that she lost in the second film. So that raises the stakes there. Also, she's got her mother, May, in there. So May and April, they, they just went there unapologetically. And then to top it all off, we do get to see more family members in this film. Uh, we get to meet Finn's father, as it described in the synopsis, and his name is Gil. I'm rolling my eyes so hard, but I'm also laughing. And he is played by the one, the only, David Hasselhoff. Nice to see the Hoff in here, taking it about as seriously as everybody else in this movie. He's a very good addition to the cast. And when they unveil him as Finn's dad, it is quite a joyous moment because he is the perfect guy to play this aging veteran hero type who's part of NASA, but you're not quite sure what he's doing there. It is revealed towards the end exactly what his job is. And as you say, May, April. May, who is April's mum, is played by Bo Derrick. So you get lots and lots of interesting cameo performances in this. I think Bo Derek is more of an extended cameo. She's in it quite a bit more than some of the other characters. Early on in the proceedings, you get Lou Ferrigno was the Incredible Hulk on TV. Now, I don't think they refer to his agent by name, but he's called Agent Banner. God, the Hulk, Agent Banner. I mean, the, the references just never stop coming in this movie. Jackie Collins turns up 
at a party in Washington. So it's completely random who shows up in this movie. George R. R. Martin, who is the creator of uh, the Game of Thrones books, he appears for about five seconds in this movie. He's a guy who meets a very gory end on one of the rides at Universal. By the time I thought, hang on a minute, isn't that George R. R. Martin? Oh, he's dead. So <laughs> that was the extent of George R. R. Martin's um, role in this. I'm sure he enjoyed it, but it's just full of extremely daft set pieces. And it just makes up its rules as it goes along, because at one point, the Sharknado does something that it's never done before. And one character just uses the line, well, looks like the rules have changed. And that's it. That's how they explain the different behaviour of the latest Sharknado. And that's fine, because this movie just goes off in the direction it wants. Yeah, and I think the characters have become acclimatised to this ridiculous situation that they're presented with. Like, they are not phased by seeing flying sharks come out of the sky. And talking about the randomness of some of the cameos in this... We have the former X Factor finalists, Jedward, in this film. They appear on the uh, roller coaster sequence, but they also wrote the theme song for this movie as well, which is kind of crazy. It's like, how did Jedward get involved in this? I don't know. But I think that because of Sharknado being such a cult phenomenon, I think a lot of celebrities did just want to get involved, sink their teeth into it, so to speak. Uh, hey. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Jedward are a good fit for the Sharknado movies because they're the kind of phenomenon where you're not sure why it's a successful phenomenon, but it is. Same with Sharknado. I've actually seen Jedward live, which is bizarre. It was on one of those kind of uh, X Factor type things where they would have an arena tour and all the people who would, were the finalists would perform at the arena tour. And my wife had got some tickets. They were kind of complimentary things through her job. So we went to see this X Factor show. And the Jedward sequence was utterly bonkers. They did a cover of Ghostbusters. And there was so much going on on the stage at one time. I thought my brain was going to melt. Because it was that sort of thing where you'd got people who like Stacey Solomon, who, if anybody doesn't know who Stacey Solomon is, she's kind of a TV personality, but she started off on The X Factor. And her voice is extremely good. So they just had her in one solitary light on the stage doing this ballad, no tricks, just her singing. And it was really good. Jedward, it was chaos. There was explosions, there was ghosts, there was there were like a million dancers, there was stuff coming out of the stage, there were fireworks going off, there was dry ice. I was like, I thought that I would I'd take an LSD personally when I was watching that. Yeah, so I think they could have been utilised a little bit more in Sharknado 3. I think we could have seen more of them, especially to fit in with that whole bonkers style. At the beginning of the movie, we get a very obvious reference to James Bond as we get the silhouette of Finn, but instead of the gun, he's got a chainsaw, which is very fitting, obviously, in with the franchise. They were going to have Sarah Palin initially playing the president in the movie, but I think contractual obligations prevented her from appearing in it. And believe it or not, after Sarah Palin turned it down, they approached... Donald Trump. So he was going to act as a president before he actually became the president of the United States. But again, he had to step away from the role just because he was focusing on his presidential campaign at the time. 
Yeah, I was in Chicago as he was focusing on his presidential campaign at the time, and I was stood waiting for a boat on the riverside with somebody. And this guy mentioned Trump and he said, oh, yeah, he's running, isn't he? And I was like, yeah. And he said, oh, don't worry, he's got no chance. So we all know what happened there. So this movie sees the return of Finn and April's eldest daughter, Claudia Shepard, but she is played by a different actress this time round. I don't think it's a massive problem that they've changed actresses. You're not really bothered by it because she does a really good job in this. And then we see the return of Nova Clark, who was in the first one, and she is just like really cool and badass, still carrying a bit of a torch for Finn. But I think there's that whole kind of unrequited forbidden love kind of going on between the characters. It's kind of that. I mean, I've only seen the three movies so far, but the the way I look at it is is um, it's the kind of thing that there's something there, but it may never happen, and they have to accept that. So. Also, we have Malcolm in the Middle himself in a very small role in this film. Frankie Muniz, he's in it too. He is kind of Nova's sidekick when we first meet him, and he has a crazy death. It's hilarious. He just basically gets bitten from like limb to limb, but he still manages to uh, come through and save the situation. Yeah, it's the most outrageous bit of the movie, girl wise, because he manages to lose all of his limbs. And then still manages to crawl across the top of this Mad Max style vehicle that uh, he and Nova have been travelling around in. And there's a kind of a, almost like a doomsday button on the top of it. And you think, well, how is he going to push this button when he's got no arms and no legs? But he kind of shuffles across the top of the roof and then kind of, well, almost nuts it basically. hits it with his chin. He does have a very heroic death. But as with all Sharknado movies, heroic deaths are also ridiculous and hilarious deaths as well. There's nothing in this movie which you would be offended by, I don't think, in terms of characters being killed off. It's usually fairly brief. It's bloody, but it's in a ridiculous way. It's not convincing in the slightest. The CGI is kind of apologetic. It's okay and it's quite fun, but it isn't realistic. And that fits the tone of the other movies and the rest of the series. So I don't think that this is straying too far from the Sharknado template, apart from the fact that they have raised the stakes and the fact that the solution to get rid of it this time is to create a 60-mile-high wall of flames to take it out. But the only way they're going to do that is to go into space. Yep, Sharknado in space. So after all the insaneness that goes on in this film prior to that, yes, we take it to space. And do you know what? It's just perfect. It's just heightened. It's just, it's honestly fantastic. And going back to the kind of the gore in this movie, yes, it is highly gory, but it has that kind of video game feel to it. And I think that is deliberate. And they're CGI heavy. They're proud of it. And it really doesn't matter because, as you say, it just fits in perfectly with the tone that the film is trying to evoke. So, yeah, I just really loved everything about this movie. I had so much fun with it. I'd forgotten something as well about Frankie Muniz's character. When he dies, it's while Finn and Nova are trying to take off in a plane through the Sharknado. And they're looking down on what's happening. And this guy has got no legs, no arms. And then there's an enormous explosion where he is and then Finn looks down and says 
we can't save him. <laughs> no, no shit, Finn. No shit, he's like, he's probably in a thousand pieces now. And it's that sort of line that makes Sharknado all the more endearing because after all of this outrageous action sequence finishes, you just get this ridiculous line as a payoff. It is very, very funny in places. And other cameos, we got uh, Jerry Springer turns up at one yeah. point. Penn and Teller, the magicians, turn up at one point. If you're a fan of Girls of the Playboy Mansion, which I'm sure that a lot of men were in the last decade, you've got Kendra Wilkinson and Holly Madison in roles in this. So they kind of load the cast with people from all walks of life. In fact, at the start, uh, Michelle Beadle, who... I was a massive fan of because I used to watch Sports Nation a lot on ESPN. So Michelle Beadle, who was presenter of Sports Nation for a really long time, she is one of the security detail in the limo at the start who drives Finn to his Washington date with Destiny. It's just like a grab bag of celebrities, just like, well, who's going to be in this movie? Yeah, fine, we'll get them in. Which makes it a lot more fun, really, because you still get people like Al Roker, who's the actual real-life weatherman, who is giving you reports on where the Sharknado is moving. And he looks like he's enjoying himself again. He's a fixture of the Sharknado canon, Al Roker. I mean, he's a real-life weatherman, but he also seems to be having a blast telling you where this shark-filled tornado is moving next as well. And I think another great element of the Sharknado franchise is how meta it is as well. You've got, obviously, well-known celebrities playing themselves. The main characters, they play everything straight, but the way they deliver the lines, it is just, you know, so campy and is, you know, kind of winking at the audience. It's that type of thing. So it's just got such a fun charm to it. And I just don't know how anyone could not enjoy Sharknado if you're into bad horror movies, B-movies, shark films. It's got it all, really. And it ends on a bit of a cliffhanger as well. I mean, I was laughing, I have to admit. So as I mentioned previously, Tara Reid's character, April, is expecting a baby throughout the whole movie. And she gives birth inside a shark. <laughs> and basically, she uses her robotic arm to open up the shark, which is very, very suggestive, but equally as hilarious, for the baby to come out. And yeah, that that is just how you do it. And then there's obviously this like big family emotional moment where everyone's like so happy that the baby's been born. And then things go a bit askew again, where the movie ends with a piece of debris from one of the planes falling from the sky, and we don't know if it's hit April or not. So what the people behind Sharknado then did. They went immediately on Twitter and began a Twitter campaign for the audience to decide either April lives or April dies. And there was a hashtag that kind of set it up for the next movie. And the fourth installment was actually announced as soon as the third one had um, been released on the sci-fi channel. So it was definitely ramping up the hype straight away. And it was a great way to end it because it, it does leave you thirsty for more. I voted on the Sharknado hashtag April lives, hashtag April dies discussion. I will reveal that I voted hashtag April lives. Yeah, I think that's a good choice. And I'm assuming she does, because as far as I'm aware, Tara Reid is in the rest of the movies, but 
again, I need to watch them all so I can give my full analysis of them. Say analysis, you know, we're talking Sharknado here. It's just a fun conversation. <laughs> yeah. Whereas Jaws 3, last episode, that was a bad movie trying its best to pretend it wasn't a bad movie and there was some kind of thrilling or inventive intent behind it. That didn't work. Sharknado 3, because it's pitted itself as a bad movie, but actually it's made with some level of skill and it's got, as you say, that winking at the audience going on all the time. This is how a kind of a good stroke bad movie should work because you can cringe and sort of snigger at the terrible effects. But at the same time, it rattles along at such a pace that you don't get bored with it because it's like it's only going to be two minutes before it's gone on to the next ridiculous set piece. Whereas Jaws 3, what a plod that was. This, you know, it's 88 minutes and it rushes through one action set piece to another. Kind of quite breathlessly, in fact. You don't get a chance to stop and think, hang on a minute, this is absolutely bloody stupid. <laughs> Which it is. But that's what makes it fun as well. And the fact that Hasselhoff pretty much does the sort of Muppets announcements, you know, where they use pigs in space from the old Muppets thing. But Hasselhoff decides when he's like floating around in a jetpack and he can see the sharks coming in through the atmosphere. And he pretty much goes, sharks in space. And that's pretty <laughs> much the last act of the movie. And there's no point looking at this movie and just saying, well, you know, this has gone too far now. This is too ridiculous. Now, there's no such thing in the Sharknado universe as too far or too ridiculous, as you will find out as the series progresses. There is no bar set. There can't be anybody within the Sharknado franchise that, that has looked at something and gone, no, no, that, that's just too daft. We won't do it. I'm pretty sure that any idea that anybody came up with that was like, yep, we'll do that idea. It's going in. We'll fit it in however. We'll just crowbar it in somewhere. It'll be fine. And I think what is so great about the Sharknado franchise is the fact that we've become accustomed to the characters and we do feel for them in a strange way. We enjoy seeing what's going to happen next. We enjoy seeing them fighting the fight against these uh, flying sharks. So I think, you know, it does have that endearment to it. And also the meta references and the fact that you've got these ridiculous scenarios going on. It's just hard not to love it. And yeah, I would, you know, say so far, I am a fan of this franchise. I don't know how far it's going to take things. So I'm quite excited to see. But at the same time, I hope it doesn't kind of lose its spark as many of these things do before they make them. But I think this one, oh hell no, was an absolute treat. And I think it was a great third instalment. It's, it's you know, up there with the other two films. So hopefully it'll continue in a fun consistency and uh, we'll enjoy all of them. So in terms of reviews, I think Oh Hell No got a Oh Hell Yes from us. It definitely did. However, over on IMDb, it has a rating of 4.0 out of 10. And then on Rotten Tomatoes, 36% tomato meter and 29% audience score, which I think is way too low. But then we don't know who has been critiquing these films and whether it's their kind of it's like their kind of genre. I don't know. 
I, I just don't know who would rate these so low because if they're looking at them and thinking oh this is just you know outwardly bad without appreciating actually what these films are trying to convey because they are satire they are meta they are a parody of all these things of shark movies the fact that there's so many shark movies out there there's a ridiculous amount and this this kind of just does it well so yeah it's interesting that uh, the critics on rotten tomatoes are higher than the audience score so i guess this is one of the very rare occurrences on rotten tomatoes where the audience were less kind than the critics which is strange really Maybe they've lent into the trash more than the audience. Maybe they know what they're expecting and maybe they do like the meta-references where maybe some of the audience just think, oh, this is just one stupid gag after another. That's correct, it is one stupid gag after another. But if you can tap into Sharknado's sense of humour, then you'll have a good time. But I guess for some people, that kind of sci-fi channel level of production and cgi is probably enough to turn people off to start with whereas this has kind of got more about it than some of the sci-fi stuff because at least it's got its tongue firmly in its cheek and it's making jokes about the whole genre which i particularly appreciate and as ridiculous as it is it does have some things to say about genre cinema which is, I don't believe I'm saying this about a movie called Sharknado 3, but it is a lot smarter than I think most people would think it would be because it does have a very skewed view of what people expect within a horror movie or within a shark movie, and it plays on all of those expectations and sometimes subverts them, but then sometimes gives the audience exactly what they want. So maybe I'm giving Sharknado 3 a too intellectual spin, but I think that it actually does have something to say, despite the fact that it's bloody ridiculous for 95% of the time. I completely agree with that. And I think it's pure escapism as well. I think you can just go into those movies, switch your brain off and just have a great time. Put all your troubles aside and just bask in the glory that is Sharknado. Just enjoy the characters, enjoy the scenarios. It's a great horror, action, comedy it's a bit of everything and I think that's why it has something for everyone and that's what makes it just such an awesome franchise I do wish we could chat longer and that's it for episode 66 of the HD Movie Podcast as always thank you for listening and if you enjoyed this episode and want to check out more of our content including Sharknado and Sharknado the second one you can follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram at HD Movie Podcast. Summer of Sharks continues next time in episode 67. We're heading away from franchise movies this time. What are we going to be covering, Hayley? So this one is a standalone and it's a movie from the last decade. And it's Sharks in a Supermarket. Can you guess what this is? It is, of course... Bait, released in 2012. So we're going Aussie Sharks next time. Should be interesting. Until then, stay safe, everybody. We'll see you soon. The HD Movie Podcast is presented by Hayley Alice Roberts and Darren Gaskell. Its music is written and performed by Mitch Bay. You can find the episodes on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Samsung Podcasts, Amazon Music, Podchaser, TuneIn, 
iHeartRadio, Player FM, Listen Notes and Podbean.